Hey, Miles. Yeah, Cam? Have you ever heard of the thing? We're not supposed to talk about that thing, man. What do you mean we're not supposed to talk we about that We kind of swore thing? an oath about that. Oh, especially in front of somebody like Steve. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Uh, we're, we're talking about that, uh, uh, what was that? That, uh, I the said hammer the guy? Thing. The hammer guy? The hammer guy? No, 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 no. That's something else. John Carpenter. Yeah, the, the thing. That's what we're talking about here. Ah, uh, yes. Friends of the podcast, and welcome back to Inconceivable Media. I'm Cam. I'm Miles. And I'm Steven, who is not stoned this time. <laughs> well, thanks for coming back to joining us this Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure may- maybe I'm stoned this time. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just rubbing off on you. It's okay. <laughs> and yes, that's right. This week we watched John Carpenter's The Thing. Classic sci-fi horror yeah for those of you that maybe don't know uh the thing is a 1982 horror film uh that follows an american research team in antarctica where they come face to face with a horror not of this earth and then it makes them question if they are all who they say they are hmm all right so i've seen this a whole bunch of times and have either of you seen this before? I've seen it once all the way through, and that was a long time ago. Uh, so this is, I wouldn't say a fresh rewatch, because I do remember a lot of what happens, but um, it certainly is a closer to fresh rewatch. Ah, I see. And what about you, Stephen? This is the very first time I've ever seen it. I was actually planning on watching it because recently while scrolling through uh, my TV options, I saw that it was streaming and I said to my significant other, maybe we should watch this sometime. And she said, oh, you got to watch that. It's great. Not only is it like mm, scary and it's kind of like an Agatha Christie whodunit, it also has, I would say, by today's standards, uh, comical special effects. (laughs) I suppose I could, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Personally, I, I'm a huge fan of the special effects, but uh, we'll, we'll go into depth on that in a little bit. Personally, though, I think the thing would have loved the Montes- Monte Christie much more. The what? Monte Christie. Monte Christie? What's yeah, you the... know, the sandwich. Oh, that's a Monte Cristo, ah, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> why, why specifically the Monte Cristo sandwich? Because Steve said, Kristen Christie. Oh, oh, because Agatha, oh, <laughs> Agatha, because Christie. Agatha Christie. Oh. Uh, uh, not your best work, this. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm warming up here. It's a little cold, so oh. Kinda, I'm still chilled. I need to thaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So now that we've got a fresh uh, watch under our belts, what did everybody think of it? I loved it, honestly. It, I think it's a great example of how realistic, or what do you call it? Um, not real special effects. Non, Non-digital. Non-digital. Non-CGI special yeah. effects. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It makes it so much better. 
Yeah, and while I said it was comical, I also enjoyed them quite a bit. Uh, you could tell that there was a little bit of, I think, claymation. And oh, yeah. And it was mm-hmm. done with, um, what do they call those, like, uh, audio, me- like, mechanical... Animatronics. Animatronics. Yes. Animatronics, claymation, and a lot of latex, rubber, and fake blood. About 10% of the budget for the film went towards the special effects, mm. who were created by uh, Rob Botton. And we will, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that once uh, we're really diving into this. Uh, so, with that said, is this a movie that you would recommend to other people? Most certainly. Absolutely. Would you put any... Um, is there anyone that you wouldn't recommend it to or uh, any kind of you, you might enjoy this but type, type things? Oh, absolutely. I think all throughout the fact that they're using so many bloody... I would actually say it's almost gory uh-huh. uh, effects. So because of that, I wouldn't re- really recommend it to people who aren't very good with gore. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Let's be honest here. There's a lot that goes on and people who don't like, uh, who don't like, I guess you could say body horror almost Uh would probably despise this. Or if they don't like the bending of reality, Mm -hmm. uh, they would also probably hate it pretty, pretty thoroughly. I think this movie, like I said earlier, had some Agatha Christie elements to it. I remember reading an Agatha Christie book for a novel study in junior high and I think it was called, And Then There Were None. And mm. it's kind of a similar situation. Instead of the Antarctica research station, it's a group of people that are isolated on an island in a mansion, I believe. Mm-hmm. And where it has like the same elements is that nobody trusts each other because no one knows who the murderer is. Or parallel, no one knows who the thing is. Mm-hmm. So, well... I would recommend this movie to a lot of people. The people I wouldn't recommend it to would be someone like my mother, who loves Agatha Christie Who Done It, but will not love the amount of gore in the film, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, we're going to go off on a little break, and then when we come back, we're going to jump into the spoilers. So, for anyone who hasn't watched this movie, there are plenty of ways to watch it. And yeah, we'll see you in a little bit. back everyone now we're going to hop into a deeper discussion with plenty of spoilers so a quick recap of the film we are following a team of american researchers in an antarctic research station as they are visited by a dog and some norwegian researchers that are hell-bent on killing this dog the dog later reveals itself as a thing, an alien organism that is capable of imitating any life forms it comes into contact with. And then what follows is a race against time as more team members are isolated and consumed to create more things. Will the remaining humans be successful and destroy the threat? 
Or will the things win and threaten the entire planetary ecosystem? <laughs> so I think in order to not uh, get too confused, we should call the aliens the Johns. <laughs> the Johns? Why the Johns? Because we might be talking about something and say the thing, because I do that quite a bit because I kind of forget the word. Oh, So I if see. we call the alien the Johns for John Carpenter, it kind of works. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, what were we discussing earlier? The uh, the the thing, the Johns, they look like the... Um... Not the Cronen, no Cronenberg, Cronenberg, Cronenbergs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sure Cronenberg was going to be involved in this film. Yeah, surprisingly enough, no. This is a uh, John Carpenter. Um, I don't think that this was uh, the first big thing that John Carpenter did, but it's definitely one of the ones that he is really well known for. It what couldn't have been the first thing he did because he's a carpenter. It would have been wood. <laughs> Is um. No, wait a minute. This isn't the first horror thing that. Uh, what? What? There's another franchise that John Carpenter started, right? Um, Avatar. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, another like horror franchise, like not Friday the Thirteenth, but one of those other iconic ones, uh, one of the slasher ones. Uh, I wouldn't know, man. I'm gonna Carpenter. He did a number of vampire movies. Uh huh. But I believe he also did the slasher flick Halloween. Halloween with Mike Myers, right? Mike Myers. Right. Yeah, okay. baby. <laughs> okay, not that Mike Myers. It would have been way worse if it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So obviously, um, with Halloween, because I know Halloween started in like before, like the late seventies or something. I I haven't seen any of the Halloween movies, but I know of them. I feel like that's probably something that we should fix for next year. Maybe. 1978. 1978. was when Halloween came out. Okay. And this yeah. was 1982 that The Thing came out. So already well-versed in doing horror things, John Carpenter was. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, it was not also the first time he worked with Kurt Russell. He also worked with Kurt Russell in another film. I think it was either Escape from New York or Escape from L.A. I think it would have been Escape from New York because I'm pretty sure that was the first one. Uh, That's okay. uh, Snake Plissken. That's, uh, I was going to or... say Snake Vargas, but no, you're right. Snake Plissken. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wasn't he on a plane? What? That's the wrong snake on okay. the plane. <laughs> yeah. we're. <laughs> no, we are, we are way off the mark on that one, Miles. <laughs> I'm sure I could have hit it with a flamethrower. Um, something that I actually quickly want to point out about this movie is that... So it came out in 1982. Uh, so this would have been right around the time that a whole lot of sci-fi things were taking off. Because um, The Empire Strikes Back had either come out... I always forget if it's 1981 or 1982 when The Empire Strikes Back came out. But anyways, that mm -hmm. had already come out. And Star Trek, the motion picture, had then come out. And then I believe this opened up um, like a week or two around the time that um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, came out. So the interesting thing with The Thing is that even though it's a classic, everyone refers to it as a classic horror movie now and everyone kind of loves it, it was trashed when it came out and no one went to go see it like it bombed 
badly. Really? Yes. I don't know. The bombs were quite effective. I I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> they were they were very very good at destroying their their base camp. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they literally destroyed everything they had, so it kind of works out that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it, it was quite interesting that even from um, like a lot of the the critical reception to it was just people thought that it was just um, oh. Right, I remember one of the big things that people really didn't like about it was the ending. Really? I thought it had a great ending. Well, it's great as far as horror goes, right? Yeah. Because you don't know who, if if all of the things were destroyed, right? Right, and if, well, if, if there's still any remaining, or if any of the two uh, people that are left at the research station, if either one of them are still the thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, I think you could really divide moviegoers and audiences into two camps and one camp that really likes the obscure ending where you have to draw your own conclusions and you're okay with not knowing what happened and the other camp that absolutely hates that camp and says no I want everything to be defined I want I don't want to make my own conclusions I want you to spell out for me exactly what happens and you know the people that hate the obscure endings. I'm kind of okay with either. Um, <laughs> I, I learned a long time ago that I'm not going to be burnt by obscure endings because every once in a while you're watching a movie and you're waiting for it to be drawn up into a nice little tidy package and then it doesn't happen. You get the obscure ending and you just have to be okay with that and say, yes, I'm going to draw my own conclusions and be okay with not knowing exactly what happened. You guys don't know how it ended? I know how it ended. It <sighs> makes perfect sense. So... um What's his name? Uh, which which Hopper one? guy? Are you talking about the doctor, or no, are you no, talking Copper about guy, the Kurt the, Russell? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is human, and he found out that the uh, last survivor was actually a thing. Do you think Keith David was a thing at the Absolutely. end? Absolutely. Why? Because they were using all of their J and B bottles to make Molotov cocktails, and he still. So he took a swig. He faked uh, Kurt Russell faked a swig mm-hmm. and passed the bottle off to. Uh, off to, to Keith. <laughs> and Keith grabbed it, drank it, yeah. and acted like it was a normal thing. Because they, the thing wouldn't know that they don't drink gasoline, they only drink alcohol. So are you saying at some point in the movie they took all their scotch bottles and filled them up with gasoline? Yep, because they were not planning to live. Did you see this part, Cameron? Well, they don't have that part. All we see is that he he has, in addition to the dynamite charges... He also has all of his remaining bottles of scotch set up as Molotov cocktails. Oh. He's got the 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 the, the fabric soaked or uh, the, the 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 kerosene soaked um, fabric inside them because you see him light up a stick of dynamite, throw it in there, and then he lights the rag, and then he tosses that in afterwards, and that's where you get that nice big explosion. Uh, I see where you're going with that. Uh, from what I understand, there was actually multiple endings filmed for this. And Carpenter decided to go with this one. Yep. Basically, the option, similar to uh, what Miles and I talked about with a film last year when we were doing The Plague Dogs, about how there is what we got in the film and then there's what there is in the book. And they are like sort of the same, but one of them is bleaker than the other. Remember that? Yep. Um, so basically, 
for the original ending, in some ways it would have actually been closer to, again, the short story that this is adapted from. Because at the end of Who Goes There, for those of us listening who decided to listen to me uh, read that short story, uh, at the very end, when they take down the thing, um, there isn't this question of, oh no, who's still a thing? It's very much a, oh, thank goodness we killed them all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a good thing that we didn't allow it to get off of this continent and things like that. Um, and there very much is a, we are going to survive to tell the tale type ending. And that was what was going to happen. And then John Carpenter was like, mm, no, I like it better if you don't really know. And well, all of our heroes died anyways. It was a Pyrrhic victory. Interesting. Interesting. And it was that decision to make that ending that gave it all of the issues upon its initial release. I almost feel, man, it it feels weird to keep bringing up Inception. Because <laughs> so, we've brought that up like almost every episode this month. <laughs> but I feel that Inception was a conversation changer in terms of the the movie or the the film viewing public being more okay with those types of endings of oh no do we really know no we don't know because inception was so big and one of the iconic things was the very end where the top wavers and it's like oh no is he still dreaming or is he actually awake sort of thing Mm. Uh yeah and so then again there's two camps one Mm -hmm. that loved the ending of inception and one that hated the ending but the thing is is that everyone still well i mean inception was huge right Mm. everybody saw it um whereas no one kind of went to go see the thing but not everybody goes to see horror movies like right. that, that's 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 just an accepted thing, right? Yeah. Not everybody's gonna go see a horror movie. Mm-hmm. No, not everybody went to go see Saw, despite the fact that everyone talked about how they went to go see Saw or the Blair Witch Project. Not everybody saw those movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't really like either of them, to be honest. But I still have not seen either of them for various reasons. You're not missing too much, man. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Every time I hear about Saw, like any of the Saw movies. I kind of have that reaction of what you had brought up at the beginning about who you would recommend this to because like it's not I don't have a problem with body horror or gore. I do have a problem with gore porn as -hmm. people would call it where it's like very much the entire point is that you're watching someone getting their skin peeled off and things like that and you are deliberately being exposed to that and I just sit back and I go yeah that's okay. I don't need to watch that. Mm-hmm. I have a good enough imagination. I don't need to watch a whole movie about this. Yeah, same. <laughs> you know, I think I saw both those movies in the theater. And I remember thinking this, thinking Saw was uncomfortable to watch. But it, I remember saying at the time it was a good movie because it gave me a lot of, a lot of fright, a lot of jump. It's got a lot of spook humor. Um, in hindsight... You have to really be a horror fan to like Saw, right? You have to be a special kind of horror fan. You have fan. to be a special kind of horror fan. Um, I think it has absolutely no rewatch value. Like, I would never watch any of those movies again. But at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, that's that's a horror movie. And it's, it's everything you expect a horror movie to be. 
On the flip side of that, uh, the Blair Witch Project I thought was amazing. I thought it was just a beautifully done, low-budget, scary movie. Um, side note, the second the, the second Blair Witch Project was a big budget. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Yeah, so the, oh. the first one, the first Blair Witch came out, and it was I'm sure the, the budget was, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand, ten thousand. I don't know. The thing might have been shot with two camcorders and four actors. Like it was three yeah. actors and like a tiny set. It was it was very good and it was made to look like a home video. And I don't think there was really any body horror or gore or anything. It was all psychological. Mm-hmm. That's what made it good. It was all psychological. The second Blair Witch was just another horror slasher big budget one, right? Yeah. I, Not really understanding the appeal of the first one, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. It, it was like they were made by two different... Um, like They really had nothing to do with either film, right? Um, but before we get back to the thing, I would highly recommend <laughs> The Blair Witch Project. The first one, and only the first one. Because um, it's, it's not what you think it would be. Like It looks like it's... Um, it was really done in that great shockumentary or documentary or mockumentary style i don't know how you describe it <laughs> well it's found footage it's right found footage. yeah yes. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so if you're if you like found footage um i didn't really like the blair witch myself mm-hmm. like, i thought it was okay and it did actually spark a lot of good movies that came out mm-hmm. so i would actually recommend people watch marble hornets marble hornets yep. yes Never but heard of it. Marble Hornets is a little different because it's actually in a genre of its own known as unfiction. Unfiction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So, I have a, are we going to be covering Marble Hornets next October? Uh, actually, we're, we might do it beforehand because I'm going to be doing it with Gareth and Steve. You want to c- take along? By all means. <laughs> Quite possibly. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Marble Hornets is one that takes a long time to do. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to do it in about four takes. <laughs> Is it that long? Uh, well, kind of. Is it a TV it's, show or a movie? It's a, it's YouTube, a YouTube well, series. It's an unfiction, oh. so it actually spans across a bunch of different media platforms. So part of it's on YouTube, part of it's on Twitter, and part of it's somewhere else. Really? So it's kind of its own thing. It was a very interesting phenomena back in, what, the late 2000s, I think is when they started it? Like 2008 or 2009 or something? Mid to late 2000s, I think yeah. it was. And it went for quite a while. Yeah. It went for a couple of years, which, I mean, as a as an internet thing from that time, because it was all by the like the same people. Yep. Yeah. It was all done by the exact same people, and they just kept to this project. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty interesting thing to watch. Interesting. But it just takes a while to watch it all. Like, yeah. you could sit down and watch it, like, all in two nights. Yeah. But... I know Gareth is busy, you're busy, I'm busy, mm-hmm. so it's going to take a little time. <laughs> Anyways, bringing ourselves <laughs> back to the thing. So what were some things that did jump out that were things that you really liked? I mean, we have talked about the Cronenbergs, we'll say. <laughs> for... The Cronenberg monsters. Uh, <laughs> the special effects, I thought, mm-hmm. were really really well done they were entertaining uh like i said by today's standards you could certainly tell their early 80s special effects but i thought they were still really good it was no return of the jedi good or star wars but it, it, it was pretty good right 
So the guy who did the special effects that they brought in um, for this, I had mentioned before, uh, Rob Botton. So Rob Botton was a pretty big deal at the time because he also did the special effects for um, previous movies. Uh, he had done The Fog also with John Carpenter. Mm. And he also uh, did the practical effects for Robocop and Total Recall. Wow. So um, that would have been like designing the ED-209 and putting together the suit and everything for Robocop. Mm -hmm. And then all of the funky alien designs that they have in uh, uh, Total Recall when they're on Mars. Wait a minute. Is he responsible for the three-titted alien? Um, I don't know specifically if he, like, made that prosthetic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just saying, whenever anyone thinks of Total Recall, the first thing that comes to mind to recall is the alien with three boobs. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the other one that I would have thought of would have been Get Your Ass to Mars. Get Your Ass to Mars, or Johnny Cab. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. that. Yeah. Robert Picardo as the Johnny Cab. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the funny thing, actually, it's the special effects were how I was kind of introduced to the thing. So I didn't see the thing until I was an adult, like 2012 or 13 or something, because uh, speaking of YouTube stuff, there was, um, um, uh, shoot, I forget uh, what his first name is, but uh, a Hardcastle, um, a, a guy who does a lot of claymation, mm -hmm. he made a send up to the thing that was called... Um, Thingu, because what he did is he... So you know... Um, do you remember Pingu? The penguin? Yes. I... The, the, the claymation thing. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. I remember so, now. So what he did was he made a nice little two-minute animation on, on YouTube called The Thingu, and it's <laughs> all, of the, all of the cast from Pingu. So Pingu, his parents... Um, his friend, um, I think was like a, a lion seal or something like that. Yeah. And he just does the entire series of uh, the entire movie of the thing, but with all of the characters of Pingu really? and it's, and it's all claymation, all of the effects, every, oh yeah, you should look it up and you should watch it because it is amazing. <laughs> I, I remember it. Yeah. Now that you say claymation and, uh. And everything, yeah, I remember that. That that was a pretty amazing uh, series, actually. Yeah, well, um, and so that was how I was introduced to it because the places that I was hanging out on, all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh my goodness, you should see this great thing!" And do you love? Do you remember Pingu? And do you remember the thing? And I'm sitting there going, "I am aware of both of those things. I've only watched one of them." And then I watched it, and, I, and then I sat there and I said, "I really need to go watch the thing now." I feel like I probably just had the entire movie spoiled for me, but I'm going to go watch it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before then, um, when I was a kid, um, we went to uh, Disney World for a vacation one time. And 
at these theme parks, they have shows that you can go to, like you can go watch stunt shows and things like that, where they kind of walk you through the process of how they do these things in the movies. Mm -hmm. And so one of them was a special effects show um, where they kind of walked through a little bit how they'll do some things and then they'll show clips from movies and they showed the clip from the thing where they're operating on the guy and when he goes and he's uh, putting the defibrillator pads on him and loses his arms oh that was a great scene yes it was yeah. and little nine-year-old me like kind of almost shit himself from fear <laughs> and from terror <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that always sticks out to me because we're just sitting there watching all these creepy things because it's a special effects show and they're focusing on more horror stuff because that's where a lot of great practical effects happen. Right. And then all of a sudden they just show this bit from the thing and I'm just like, they bit his arms off. That's the reason why it took so long for me to finally watch the movie. It's a great scene, honestly. Yeah, it was one of those scenes that gave me that horror movie jump where I jumped when it happened. Mm-hmm. And I apologize to my upstairs neighbors if I may have let out a little bit of a, uh, but only in a louder and more shrill and feminine tone. <laughs> the female Morty, got it. <laughs> female Morty, exactly. <laughs> oh gosh, Rick. <laughs> well, I feel that um this kind of leads into a fun discussion like so we were talking about the ending and everything right Mm -hmm. so when do you think people did get turned do you matt do you think when do you think blair for example got 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 we'll say got 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 (laughs) got thinged because I feel that by the time they go and they lock him up, like when he's going and crashing, and trash and everything, yeah, I feel that by that point he'd already been turned and he was no longer a human. Well, I'm not sure when, but if he was already turned at that point, why was he smashing everything? Why was he smashing the helicopter as well as the, the radio equipment? Because he was looking for the parts to build his own spaceship. You think so? Clearly. Hmm. I thought that he was uh, still with it, and he still hadn't been con- <laughs> hadn't been turned, so to speak. And he realized because he was the one that first realized what the thing was, and mm-hmm. he was the one that ran all those scenarios through his computer. Yeah. And my impression that he was doing that so that no one had the chance to fly away and spread the thing to the rest of the population, and that no one had a chance to use the communication tools to get help to come in and help them and spread the thing to the other population. So I think that he got got, he got got (laughs) uh, after he had been locked up there for a long time. So my thoughts on this is more a bit in line with how the plot turns out in the short story, Who Goes There, um, where um there's they have a similar reveal of oh no the thing is going around and doing stuff so i mean in the film the dog's walking along and then it has an interaction with a person in shadows right and in and in the short story um there's one of the characters is just by himself looking over some uh technical stuff and readouts and things like that and he's in the same room as the thing that is thawing out 
And then it mentions how he didn't notice the creaking in floorboards and then the chapter ends and then the next chapter starts and he's like, oh no, the thing got loose. And then, of course, at the end of the book, we find out that, yes, he had been turned, Mm -hmm. um, but Blair had also been turned at a certain point, even though he was coming up with all of these different things. So I think that somewhere between him interviewing Clark and like interviewing everyone and coming up with all of this information and perhaps him running the simulations Mm -hmm. around that time... I almost feel that Palmer got to him. I almost think that Palmer would have been the one who was turned first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he somehow got up to got to Blair and then Blair tries to keep it keep up the facade yeah. but shows it as a as a bit of a breakdown. Because one of the other interesting things also in the book is so when Blair's crashing everything, he's like, we can't have anybody come and see us. Mm-hmm. But they make a point in the short story when they talk about should we go and destroy the radio? Um, because Blair mentions, I destroyed everything in the planes that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they say, should we destroy the radio? And they say, no, if we destroy the radio then they're going to send rescue operations out to us immediately because they're going to think something's wrong if we're not making regular reports. So we need to continue making regular reports. Otherwise, more people are going to come here while we have a problem. I see. I see. So that's my my explanation for it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's the fun, right? Yeah. Is it also possible that Blair, when he was doing all those computations and those scenarios he was running on his computer was already turned at that point. And he's just doing this to do research for the other Cronenbergs, right? Yeah. That's the, like, other that's our, the other Johns. Yeah, the other Johns. He's, he's, trying, he's <laughs> trying to figure out, he's like, oh, well, all I have to do is get off this frozen chunk here and the rest of the world will be turned into Cronenbergs within 27,000 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 27,000 hours. How long is that in terms of days, I wonder? Well, let me get out my handy-dandy computer. And was it 27,000 hours? Or yep, was it, it was 27. Okay. It was 27,000. That, that, that number I do uh, remember. Divided by 24 is 1,125 days. So, so divided by 365 is just a little over three years. Three years? Yeah. Dang. That's not very long. No, not very long, especially considering that in Plague Incorporated, it can take you like 10 to 15 years to completely kill everyone on the planet. Exactly. (laughs) And that's assuming that Madagascar doesn't freeze you out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what I found really interesting is that when they mentioned it may have been buried under the snow for 100,000 years. Mm hmm. And how fortunate was fortunate was it that the UFO crashed on the most frozen, desolate part of the planet? So they actually do talk about that in the short story. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that the uh, the aircraft was pulled down to the pole from the uh, magnetic atmosphere somehow. Oh, I see the, mag- yeah. the magnetosphere. Yes. Yeah. Like basic, I mean, some of it is, um, I mean, it was written in the 30s, right? So mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of things that we now know more about science and physics that it's like, yeah, that's not actually how that would work. But, 
No, no, no. The magnetosphere acts as a giant magnet pulling chunks of metal from outer space to the poles. I mean, that's part of the fun of yeah. things like that back in the day is that you don't know everything and so you can come up, you can conjugate things that seem plausible enough for your fun little story, right? That's right. what makes a good story, especially for something horror, is that you sprinkle in just enough real sounding things that it convinces the readers or the the person digesting your story that they're like this is plausible enough that i'm now scared so that's actually something i do in one of my hackmaster games because one of my spells requires the use of coal mm -hmm. uh to work so <laughs> what i do is i have my mage talk about the phlogiston in it you know, mm. oh, this is a good chunk. It has plenty of phlogiston. And if you know what phlogiston is, uh, before they found out that uh, everything burns with oxygen, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. oxygen oxidization is the burning process, mm -hmm. they thought it was actually the material phlogiston that was being used that creates fire. Oh. So. Phlogiston was the explanation for why when you burn something, there is less material left over mm -hmm. which is you know the whole oxidation process and then of course that turned out to be bogus when they found out that there are certain things that when they oxidize they actually gain mass like magnesium yes when magnesium oxidizes it gains more mass <laughs> interesting did not know the <laughs> Isn't this fun, though? You get to learn things in this podcast. <laughs> not and it's not it just interesting, it's educational. And it's not just pure terror. Like, don't hug me, I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, for those of you listening, the last time I did this was with uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. And, well, you can go listen to it if you want. But I certainly did not catch all the hidden meanings behind the dates and the references to British society and broadcasting. Yep. I thought it was just horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it is pretty horrifying. <laughs> it is pretty horrifying. I showed that to a few people, and they also described it as horrifying. Yeah. It takes something in your inner core and twists it around and plays with it. It's... Ugh. It's that hidden knife that you didn't realize was still there. Yep. I mean, that's one of the things that I find. I think when something is good, it's because there are layers to it. So you like have onions. The... Exactly. Well, I mean, hey, I, I like onions. <laughs> I know some people don't, but I do like onions. Onions and ogres. Got it. <laughs> Cam's favorite things. So, I mean, what I was trying to get at with saying that things have layers is that you can enjoy something... At a surface level, because even at a surface level, it's surface level. It's very well put together and everything hits all of the right spots that you just go, hmm, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And then someone will come along and say, did you notice such and such a thing? And there was this little bit in here and that's why this ended up working a little bit more. And then you go, what do you mean? Explain yourself. And then they'll be like, oh, well, you know, in this culture, this represents this and blah, 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 blah. And then you go, oh, shit. Whoa, that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's 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 great. I like that. This tying in with your don't hug me. I'm scared stuff. It's sort of like with uh, the angelic number of plague dogs. Yes. Right. When. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you just like brought that up and I'm going, uh, what? Huh? <laughs> uh, quick side note. What's plague dogs? What is this thing? It is a 
movie adapted from a book that was written by um, Richard Adams, the guy who did uh, Watership Downs. Uh-huh. And it's... Is that the movie with all the sad rabbits? Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. This is another children's story that is also about sad animals. In this case, it's about dogs. Oh. You yeah. should go check it out, actually. It's yeah. really good. I watched um, Plague Do- or I watched Watership Down during the pandemic. Mm. Did you watch the Netflix series of it or the original? I don't know. Maybe the Netflix series because it was on Netflix. I think is it was it mm. like CG animated or was it cartoon? It's cartoon. Cartoon. Okay, it was probably okay, so the original. Probably then. the original. Yeah, it was a very sad story. Yeah, sad rabbits. Did it have like a lot of violence and blood and everything in it? The rumbly humps and all that. Hmm. <sighs> I can't remember what happened, but the rabbits just kind of slowly died, right? Like, they slowly get caught by different things. They do, but there's also, when they come into conflict when the with the other rabbits mm-hmm. in their other, um, shoot, what do they call them? Warns. Warns. Warns, mm-hmm. yeah. So the reason why we're asking is because in the original film, uh, it's pretty violent. There's a lot of blood. And there's a lot of blood on the muzzles of uh, rabbits. Did it look like this one or this one? (laughs) This one. Okay, so then, yeah, that was the original. Okay. Ah, you got to see the good one. Yeah. Yeah. The other one I started to watch, but I couldn't really continue because it wasn't the true story, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. It just, it felt like it was missing things. So, Like, Like the blood? Yeah. <laughs> so, side note, a couple years ago, before the fences were built in the front and the back of my house here, I used to have rabbits live in my backyard all the time. I'd have porcupines walk through. There was one time there was like a woodchuck or a Rich- Richardson ground squirrel. I don't know what it was. Came through. Nice. Um, and one day, Hector the rabbit that lived underneath the cherry tree out back... Um, and it was weird because I didn't edible that day and I wasn't really sure if this was really happening or not. But this other rabbit came into the yard and Hector the rabbit and the interloper rabbit got into this royal rumble. You can actually see it on Facebook because I pulled my phone out and managed to record it. So you can see a little bit of it. Um, and rabbits are vicious. Like they hold on to each other. They give that rabbit kick. There was fur and blood everywhere all over my backyard until one of the rabbits i don't know if it was hector or the other it's kind of hard to tell them apart to be honest um gave up and ran for their life and the other one was still pursuing it i didn't think rabbits tried to kill each other but i guess it was just males fighting for dominance or breeding right probably territory territory yeah yeah but there is something innately internally disturbing when you see a cute little rabbit trying to kill another cute little rabbit it just it doesn't seem like it's something that should be. <laughs> you got to remember, there's two types of rabbits in the world. There's the cute little fat ones that look adorable, mm-hmm. and then the other rabbit is the old wise sage that's willing that wants to tell you the way the world works. <laughs> but by the time you rem- you realize it all, you're going to be the mad hermit. Uh. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I was going to say is that the interesting thing is as you're describing that is sort of the reason, uh, kind of. Uh, what um, the author was going for. Uh, I'm just going to quickly pull this up so that I do actually. Okay. All right. At first I was like, shit, did I say his name wrong? (laughs) So 
what Richard Adams was actually going for when he wrote Watership Down and when he wrote The Plague Dogs is that he wanted to have realistic stories that are still in that realm that children are familiar with. So, of course, having it um, based around animals doing animal things, Mm -hmm. but he wanted it to be realistic. He wanted it to be things that rabbits actually do. He wanted it to be things that dogs actually do. Mm-hmm. And so that means everything that they actually do is what's going to happen, which of course is why there's a whole lot of violence in Watership Down, because as you saw, rabbits can be really violent. Mm-hmm. And that was eye-opening for lots of people, because lots of people don't know that. <laughs> it was very eye-opening. It a scared lot of, the hell out of me. A lot of people don't realize how violent the uh, animal kingdom is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of the things that a lot of hunters like us all both both all three of us here, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, we kind of realize that it's part of nature, and a lot of I guess you could say more modern environmentalists completely disagree on, mm. or you know they want to try to avoid of. There are lots of interesting things about the animal kingdom that we as humans as free thinkers i suppose i use air quotes for that uh think that animals don't do because they don't have the same mental capacities as we do and then of course it turns out well actually no quite a few uh different species do things that you wouldn't think that they would do because that makes no sense from like a biological perspective like same-sex relationships are actually surprisingly common among a whole lot of species like in a lion's pride (laughs) well yeah well i mean you can find them pretty much anywhere you can find dogs that get along that way and um male cats that pair bond yep oh yeah yep Mm -hmm. you find that all over the place and it's normal (laughs) just like eating meat a lot of people don't realize deer squirrels and a lot of other things will eat meat it's if it's what they ha- if it's what they have, then that's what they'll do because it's how they're going to survive. Exactly, and a lot of people don't see that. Mm. But let's get back onto the John. I mean, the thing about the Johns. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Can I ask a question about the thing? Oh, absolutely. What did you think about uh, the setting? So the setting took place in Antarctica, but obviously it wasn't shot in Antarctica. Uh, I did a little <laughs> bit of research, and it was shot up in northern BC parts of Juneau, Alaska, Mm -hmm. um, and I guess refrigerated sets in Los Angeles for part of it, so it was kind of shot all over the place. Um, Interesting side note, at one point, the the bus carrying a whole bunch of crew almost careened down a ravine and killed a bunch of them. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good thing that they survived. Yeah, yeah. did they survive because they are the things? <laughs> are we now all the things? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, sh- well, there, there's a real twist for you, huh? But the twist. <laughs> I found it to be uh, like very believable. It, I felt like they were filming it in the Antarctica. I've never been to the Antarctica. I've seen pictures of it. Um, I thought they, they did a good job of portraying it as Antarctica. No point. Actually, the only point where I thought it was silly was at the very beginning when somebody is pursuing a dog, or I thought it was a wolf, not a sled dog husky, yeah. they're pursuing it across Antarctica, shooting at it. And I was like, why are they trying to shoot at the only wolf on Antarctica? There's no wolves on Antarctica. And now you know why. Now I know why. 
Because the wolf or the sled dog was the thing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. your nose knows the difference between a rose and your toes. That's true. Uh, That's true. What did you think of the setting? Um, do you mean in, in terms of how they film it or just we're setting this in Antarctica? Did you find it believable? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, I know that, well, in both the North and the South Poles, I understand that it is cold kind of all the time. There aren't really thaw periods, mm-hmm. although I suppose that might be changing over the next few years or per- currently changing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I feel that where they were, since they were fairly interior, mm-hmm. um, since they were uh, in, in, in the short story... They, they make lots of references to finding Magnetic South and things like that. So, again, this is in the 30s. So we're only like 20 years out of uh, those um, of both the Norwegian and the, the British um, teams that were trying to map the South Pole. Right. Uh, it had only been 20 years since anyone had actually made it across to the South Pole. Exactly. Exactly. So right. now they're doing all this research to find out what the heck happens when you're actually in the South Pole now that we kind of know where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're fairly interior of the continent. So there being a whole lot of snow and not necessarily a whole lot of rock around yeah. makes a whole lot more sense. So if they were coastal, yeah. it's kind of tricky to, right. to really show it off as being realistic because even though there's not any greenery Mm -hmm. uh you definitely have to be a little bit more careful about the landscape itself so that people won't just be like that's not what antarctica looks like in that part (laughs) they clearly did not fly a crew down there to film in antarctica so to be totally fair i will say this about the setting watching it actually made me feel cold which I've only ever really experienced with like very few pieces of media. But the last time that I remember feeling this cold was playing through the long dark Mm. because they do a good job of making the cold feel as threatening as it is. Mm -hmm. And this movie also did that. Mm. It did a good job of making you feel freezing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of games that do that. And I feel that they do that very well. Um, there was one kind of like a more exploration one that was um, came out like four or five years ago. And it's uh, I, I can't remember if it is just called the Dyatlov Pass. But what it is, is it's um, an interactive uh, game where you are in Dyatlov Pass in I forget what mountain range that's in. Um but for those that don't exactly know why this is important. So back in the 50s, there was a, a team of uh, Soviet skiers that were just going out for a, a weekend trip. We're just going to go out skiing. And they went to this part of the mountains that was fairly well known. Mm-hmm. And they were in a part that was called the Dyatlov Pass. Mm-hmm. And then something happened in the middle of the night at one point that made all of them suddenly just get up, not put on any of their clothes or anything and just book it to a different part of the mountain. And they were only found like two or three weeks later when a rescue team went to go like retrace their steps because no one came home. And what do they find is they find a ruined campsite Mm -hmm. um, and they find like various 
part articles of clothing and things like that. And then they start to find bodies of right. the people that are all dead. And then there's this whole mystery of what the heck happened that just made these people just get up and just run away uh-huh. on a on a mountain range. In the freezing cold without, like, some of them without clothing. Yeah, like, like, no clothing whatsoever. Yeah, I've, I've read about this before in the past. It still remains a mystery, right? Like, no one's ever mm, really solved yeah, it, but there's been a lot of, like, there's been a lot of um, speculation that it was a Yeti. Mm-hmm. Or one of them would just went crazy with a gun and said, you better run or I'm going to kill you all. Yeah, yeah. Or that, um, I think there was something about, there was a phenomena, like a natural phenomena in terms of where they had set up their camp. And then just the way the wind was coming through the mountains, it sounded kind of terrifying. And so everyone just suddenly heard this noise and were like, what the hell is that? I don't want to know. Just, just run. Oh yeah. And it was, and all it was is, was just the wind just picked up in a certain way, and right. it made a certain type of sound that just freaked the hell out of them. Gave oh. them really bad AM, ASMR or something. <laughs> so it sounds like my sister talking. Got it. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I think I thought I had heard a year or two ago that there was something about how, like, scientists have have gotten like slightly closer to figuring out what exactly it could have been but it is still not a hundred percent definitive anyways so yeah someone made a game where you can just be in the Dyatlov pass and there are creepy things that happen at various points to just kind of really give you that sense of here's potentially what they might have heard 70 years ago when they were there this sounds, sounds pretty cool. like a terrifying game. Not pretty cool, Miles. Not pretty cool. Well, the uh, long it dark, is cool. The Long Dark is <laughs> also a cold. fun, terrifying game. Mm. Um, the whole point of The Long Dark is basically you are on an airplane flying to Beaver Island, I think they called it, which is in the uh, British Isles in the middle of winter, mm-hmm. and something happens and your plane crashes. Oh. And the whole point of the game is you are alone on this island trying to survive. Is that where you got the idea for that dread scenario you put us through? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except you guys had it easy because you weren't alone. <laughs> Wait, long dark. Is that a is that a Kojima game? No, it's no. actually a Canadian game. Oh, okay. Oh wait, no, no, I'm thinking of something else. That's um, uh, someone someone out You're there. You're thinking probably... of Lost Planet or something? No, like that, no, 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 no. It was uh, um, eh, it doesn't matter. Let's get back someone out there. The probably thing. knows what I'm talking about. Uh, at any point. Did they explain why they were at a research station in Antarctica? Yeah, no, they don't explain it here, Mm -hmm. but there are lots of research stations still in Antarctica. I don't know what they're researching these days, but they have been there for a long time and they are just there. I noticed they were trying to get a hold of McMurdo Station, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I believe is one of the more famous. Yeah, which is like still is around, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So they actually have like almost a full-on town down in the Antarctic now. And like you can actually apply to go move there and live there. Really? I've kind of thought about it because I think that would be really cool because I do like the idea of small communities. Really cool, Miles? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I kind of like the idea of it all. Um, I don't know if I could do it because of being so disconnected from everything. Mm -hmm. And also uh, just being really cold all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I do like about Canada. Like, I do like the cold. 
but you don't I like, like it, it to be, that much. I like it to be over as well. So yeah, uh, but uh, I do actually love watching like uh, documentaries about the people living in the Arctic and Ar- Antarctica mm-hmm. because it's just so crazy when they're like, "Yeah, it's blizzarding outside. Let me show you." So they walk into a room like, "Okay, we're gonna close this door." So they close the door behind them. Now I'm going to show you what it looks like outside. And then they open up the door and it's just white and the white comes in mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, this is minus 60. I'm going to close the door now. <laughs> and they close the door. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, that that's terrifying. But at the same time, kind of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing did a good job of conveying that the darkness and the cold and the snow like you said i noticed at one point you had to put your giant sweater back on because you, you were cold, cold. <laughs> yeah like yeah. it's not even that cold in here but i felt it so mm-hmm. yeah yeah they did a good job with i think the mm, the set so to speak you mm-hmm. felt like you were in antarctica and also like in addition to the cold and everything there's just this whole isolation aspect right because there's no one that's going to come and get them mm-hmm. and there's so few of them there in the first place there's what like 12 of them I yeah. Think. yeah yeah maybe um and that's and that's it so like mm-hmm. it's dark it's cold and there's so few of them and who can you really trust and it, it just really gets to all of those various like it just it just really creeps you out just because of that yeah yeah you know, earlier you were asking um, when I thought certain people had gotten got, had been turned into things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I read the synopsis of the movie, so I had a pretty good idea it was going to be a shape changer getting people. Mm-hmm. And I still tried to watch that movie and figure out when people were getting changed or getting turned. Mm-hmm. And... I still can't tell you when certain people... I can't. I don't know who the first person to get it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, so there's lots of videos that you can watch on YouTube and things like that where they try... where people try to break it down and put together the individual scene fragments and things like that and go, see, this here was when this person was changed and this is when this person was changed. Some of them are pretty obvious. Yeah. Like by the end, when Blair shows up and is obviously changing Gary right there yeah or what happens to Palmer mm-hmm. um, when he or no 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 not, not Palmer Benning um, Benning's the one who is with windows and then uh, he the thing starts to thaw out and then they go and they go outside and it's like it got Benning's and Benning's is like hey guys I'm totally okay his... <laughs> he's got the long elongated hands yep. <laughs> oh you got me <laughs> you got me no this is John's how... allowed and this is how we turn the thing into a comedy <laughs> um, my question is what if the thing just wanted to show up and be like Hey, I came from across the galaxy to bring you um, advanced technology and the secret to world peace and clean energy. And it showed up and we're like, kill it with fire, kill it with fire. (laughs) So maybe the thing is just try to survive. (laughs) Weirdly enough, they actually postulate that in the short story. It's like Mm -hmm. someone actually mentions that. How do we know if this thing is actually evil? And how do we know that it might not actually be a benevolent thing? Which, of course, then gets into a kind of like racial essentialist thing because 
the description of the thing in the short story is that it has three red eyes and they always look evil. And mm. one guy who is perhaps pretty racist and speciest is always like, that thing is evil. That thing came from hell and all this other stuff. And everyone else just kind of like goes with it. And they're just like, ah, sure. I mean, <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? <laughs> to be fair, the it thing looks different. <laughs> Kill it. <laughs> to be fair, the thing was trying to build a spaceship-like device. Mm -hmm. It could have mm -hmm. been trying to get off the Earth, and it could have been just trying to get away. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it did run a bunch of scenarios and found one where it could possibly infect the Earth, but it was just like, you know what? Not this worth isn't it. worth it. <laughs> it's sort of like how the Tyranids act, actually. Uh, ah. The Tyranids did take over one planet that was actually in the middle of being invaded by chaos. And the Tyranids were like, oh, those weird things over there, they're actually a predator. Uh, well, we're going to like try to get some information from it and like make our own species better. But then they realized, oh, shit, this is actually very dangerous. So we're just going to like try to take all the resources from this planet and get the and fuck out of leave. here. <laughs> hmm. So uh, they actually did that. And they kind of left that planet to be just chaos. But of course, the chaos energy couldn't let it leave because it didn't have any of the resources to leave. So what? They, they foiled chaos because chaos was now stuck. It's like, we're yes. just going to. Oh, no. We got they already stripped here. this planet. Shit. Yeah, they stripped the majority of it. So <laughs> How they... do we get off this planet now? Yeah, it, that's exactly what happened. That's so, hilarious. <laughs> I remember that's a good way to contain chaos. <laughs> I feel like the devil's advocate saying that maybe the thing wasn't so bad. You know, maybe he just wanted to uh, to go home. How do we know survive. that you're not a thing? Who told you that? <laughs> no one told me anything. Don't try to kill me with fire. So um, another a comment that I wanted to make when you were saying how to when who was first turned and whatnot is that John Carpenter is on record saying I don't know. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> I made this movie. I don't. I don't, I know. don't know. I don't know who got turned when and where. That's part of the fun. <laughs> well, that makes me feel better actually, because if he doesn't know, I feel better about not being able to trace it. I mean, even if he did know, I feel that he's a very savvy enough person that he would not actually make that public because it's like, then I'm just going to ruin the fun for the people that like to keep guessing. Right. Because there are a, a, a certain camp of people that why would be pointing at me. <laughs> I don't know why I'm actually pointing at you. That's I don't know what I do. <laughs> I point out the weird, obscure things. I, I know. It's like, I kind of look over you and I'm just like, I don't know why I'm looking at you because I don't think you'd necessarily have a problem. You know, I got a better question here. So with everything being very like ranch air click <laughs> <laughs> with all of the elements of this movie being fairly isolationist what did you all think of the score brought to us by the very very surprising Ennio Morricone who you might know because he did um the good bad and the ugly the the man the man with no name trilogy Oh, interesting. He's also done a whole lot of other things. Awesome things. Click. click. <laughs> a whole lot of other scores, we'll say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why did you do this to us, Stephen? 
Why did I do what? <laughs> oh, the buttons? <laughs> y- yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what did you think of the score for The Thing? Well, now that you've mentioned it's the same guy who's done a lot of westerns, mm-hmm. uh, I can kind of see that because at the very beginning... Um, you can see sound? <laughs> I can think that. Um, I've got to see that because at the very beginning it almost sounded like... Like an isolationist western. Like the music was starting, and I thought this could, this could be like an eighties an eighties duster, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And the little research station could have been an isolated, windswept little town mm-hmm. where uh, a protagonist comes to town, or an antagonist comes to town. In this case, it was a, a time or a space traveling alien. Um, and at the very end, when it was wrapping up. Uh, and you know the the credits are starting to roll, and again it has that that obscure ending where we're not sure what happens, we're not sure if the hero lives or dies, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I thought that was also very western. So now that you mentioned it, was the guy who did uh, the Man with No Name trilogy, which by the way, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those three movies in the Man with No Name? So there's Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, and then the Good, the, good the, bad, the Bad, the Ugly. The Good, the Bad, the Ugly is the last one. Yep. It's the one that everybody knows. There yeah. you go, Cameron. You got somebody you can watch your westerns with. Yeah. I do not like westerns. You say that as if I watch a lot of westerns. <laughs> I showed you one. One, because I thought you'd enjoy it, because it was not a western in a way. It was okay. Okay, what was know. it? Uh, High Noon. High Noon. Oh, no, haven't seen it. Oh, dang. Yeah. Could have yeah. had him on I that. I don't know if I have it torrented, but we'll find out. <laughs> you know, like any westerns? Like Tom- Not really. Tombstone? No. 310 to Yuma? Mm, that one I don't know if I've seen. But... Appaloosia? No. Didn't like that one? No. Oh. I don't like the western ideology and the western thing. Huh. Like... Mainly because I am kind of Métis, so... What's, it's kind of a cultural thing. What was the what was the Sam Raimi one that had Leonardo DiCaprio in it? Russell Crowe. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, where there, it's a fast draw competition. Yeah, that one. Shoot, what the heck was uh, that one called? The Save. Quick and the Dead. Uh, yeah, I think that one is the Quick and the Dead. Yeah. Yeah, Gene Hackman. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. I I don't know. I think you might get a kick out of that one because it's more about the quick draw competition and not really anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of the westerns, though, the, the ones that I've mentioned, they don't really have uh, indigenous antagonists or protagonists, right? That's true. Yeah. But like, I, I can see how you might dislike the pioneer something era like, like Stagecoach. Like the Pioneer era is something I don't really like watching either. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's like a lot of references to things that it doesn't really appeal to me, like drinking. It's mm-hmm. not something I do. Yeah. Um, like. I do like the idea of trying to work together and I do like other things like that. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, like it just got overplayed a lot with my dad mm-hmm. and cause he loved to watch his Westerns, all of them. And I would like come upstairs and see them on and sit and watch for a while and be like, I'm bored now. I'm going to go back downstairs. Yeah. It's just not my source of media that I like. Yeah, I think okay. the closest thing to a Western I actually liked was Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> And even then, I didn't even like it that much. It was just like, okay, this is tolerable. Have you watched Um, Westworld? I know about it, but I haven't watched it. And it's a a neat idea, but I feel like it's been done in something else I've seen, so I don't know if I want to watch that again. Mm -hmm. So, And there is a couple of others that came out that seem very similar that 
look like they've been done a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, so. I feel like that's something that can be taken for another, uh, an episode from a different time. Mm. So, uh, anything, any other things that you want to add on for the thing? Because we've covered, I think, all the really important things that I want to cover. Let's talk about dialogue. Um, dialogue, yeah. What did you guys think about the dialogue in this movie? <clears throat> mm, I wouldn't say the dialogue was one of the stronger points. The dialogue was sufficient to propel the plot along. But I didn't think there was any great soliloquies or speeches it was it was exactly what you would expect from a bunch of biologists, helicopter pilots, and meteorologists stuck in in the southern frozen wastes. Um, it it was it was good enough. It was as good as it had to be. Uh, it had a few good one liners, but I don't think it was. Uh, well, for instance, what was your favorite what one liner? <laughs> Stay right there. I'm blowing this. I'm blowing this all to hell. <laughs> oh yeah, right when he. When he has the flamethrower and he's got the dynamite in there. Yeah, he's just, yeah. I think my favorite probably still is when um, they torch um, Norris after he kills the the doctor and then the head separates and it starts to leave. And then Palmer's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) So one thing I do want to say about this dialogue, and it is kind of paired in with the the actor choices in that. Mm Mm-hmm. I found that everybody on this American research team did come from like different parts of America. So mm. like you get the different accents altogether, which is kind of nice and interesting. Uh, I liked that a lot. And yeah. it's something kind of subtle, but mm. I did really quite enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Like everybody did talk differently and they sounded pretty different. They used different uh, slang, I guess you could say. And uh, I think that really added to it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it was something you could definitely miss. Mm. <laughs> My favorite one-liner was when Kurt Russell throws a chunk of dynamite at the thing, and he goes, "Yeah, well, fuck you too." <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. Just to show how done you are with everything yeah. that's happening. <laughs> no, but Miles, that is a good point. Like it looked like it was um, like some people. You almost got the feeling that they were from. Los Angeles, and some were from the Midwest, and some were from Detroit, and some were from New York, and some were from the South. Like it was. Some uh, of them have diabetes. <laughs> some of them have diabetes. Diabetes, diabetes, diabetes. I didn't realize until the credits rolled that that was Wilford Brimley in that movie. As, it, as Blair. As Blair. I, yeah. when, I, when I first saw him, I actually thought he was Chevy Chase. And then Cam- Cameron was all, Cameron was all like. No, that's not Chevy Chase. Like his movie is done like way earlier than that, and I'm like, oh, that does make sense. He would have had more hair then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was definitely his like facial structure with the glasses, and it kind of felt like it. But mm. I knew it was off. I knew it wasn't him, but it kind of mm. looked like him. I, I mean, when you said that in my mind, I was I was just kind of thinking, wow, you know, that's a huge uh, that's a huge blow to Chevy Chase, considering <laughs> that he would have been way younger and would have looked more youthful in, when this movie was made. Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I think, but I, I think he looked like Chevy Chase from Community. When yeah, he was in his yeah, 60s yeah, and 70s. Yeah. Exactly. But I did notice right away that this was Keith Richards. Mm-hmm. I, I caught... Keith, Keith David. Keith David. Keith, oh, David. <laughs> Keith, Keith Richards. Richards. All right. We got one of the Rolling Stones here. Yeah. <laughs> 
Keith Richards, well, how far you've fallen. To be fair, to be fair, this alien did come from another rock. Uh, uh, but no, um, I did notice uh, Keith David, and I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. I, I kind of forget that uh, he doesn't just do voice acting stuff because I mainly know him from his voice <laughs> acting stuff, mm-hmm. not his uh, acting. Which so. is funny because movies like this are what Keith David was really known for too. Um, he would have not necessarily mainline roles, but he would do roles like this and he would do them very well. And so everyone just kind of remembers him and he has such an iconic voice too. Oh, he does. Yes. And then when, you know, voice acting became more of a thing and then he just does more of that and everyone's like, oh my God, Keith David, we want Keith David because i understand he's great yeah <laughs> he's got a great voice and the way he speaks is a lot like you cameron it's very audible and you don't mishear it very much you've got that really good voice and mm. uh it's one thing i wish i could have more of because <laughs> i noticed when i listen to the podcast and that i do hear um uh, i hear sometimes hear i difference. hear you perfectly and then i come in and it sounds like i'm three i'm like three rooms away kind of like <laughs> making snide remarks about hearing you talking about something you gotta smoke more cigarettes it'll, it'll lower your voice down here <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna do that <laughs> either that or cam starts giving you proper like voice technique mm. yes uh one uh anything else you guys want to talk about i think we mm. basically have this wrapped up yeah no. i think i think that I think really gets to the bottom of it yeah um, yeah, I guess I would say in summary, I would recommend it. It's your classic 80s horror movie. Uh, they did a really good job with making it kind of like an isolationist piece where they're isolated. And it also combined a little bit of that murder mystery, like who done it? Who's the bad guy here? And it turns out, well, they're all the bad guy, really, because oh, yeah. the thing can just kind of trans oh and the other thing is turns out it was man turns out it was man all of us are the bad ones well something i didn't understand till halfway through the movie was that it doesn't jump from person to person it can exist in different um different bodies different bodies yeah. independently and i think somebody said that at one point yeah he um mccready makes mention of that that's kurt russell's character just in case anyone wasn't paying attention when he decides to do the blood test is when he realizes when we were torching Norris and then his head came off and it was a separate entity. And then he's like, oh, so the thing can be in anything. So if I, you know, attack the blood, then the blood will be like, ah, oh, no, don't attack me. <laughs> yeah. Whereas everyone else's blood will just be like, is blood. It don't do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we should wrap it up here. Right. Uh, thanks for coming out everybody uh please if you're listening hit that subscribe button and give us a positive review on what you're listening to us on it will just help out the algorithm and such so uh yeah thanks for dropping by or thanks for letting us be here in your basement steve <laughs> <laughs> another good episode brought to you by steven's basement yes Ah, uh, yes. I mean, that's what you should call the production company. <laughs> <laughs> Steven's Basement. <laughs> it will not be the last time. Yeah. Okay, have a good one, you guys. Have a good one. See ya.